Well, shit. Welcome back, my friends. We find ourselves at an interesting time. Welcome to Ungo Podcast. The date of recording is December 14th, 2023. Uh, we return from our, our holiday break that we like to schedule randomly with no reason, just like it's a soccer awards show, you know, just throw it whenever you want, calendar be damned. But Donnie and I could not stay away. We figure there's a lot to talk about. Champions League group stages have resolved. League tables are in full steam ahead, taking shape. Vibes have never been lower. Vibes are very, very low, and we'll get into all of that. But first, to the byline. It's in, it's in our goal! It's a gift! Oh, he's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. He's almost behind him, sticks his left leg out, it almost hits his heel, and goes straight into the bottom of the corner, bottom corner of the net. As one would imagine, a lot can happen when you don't podcast for almost three months, so I thought we'd kind of go back to our old style, starting with some kind of news from the soccer world. Unfortunately, the news very much contributes to the bad vibes. Um, Since we've been away... The Manchester United family has seen two pretty upsetting passings. Um, first, Lady Kathy Ferguson, um, Sir Alex Ferguson's wife, passed away, um, which was very, very sad. There's some really good articles about her very quiet influence at Old Trafford and at Man U, but obviously our thoughts and prayers are with the Ferguson family. She was a mother, wife grandmother great-grandmother um so that was a bummer somehow only to be topped by the fact that sir bobby charlton also passed away um one of the great ambassadors of the game for manchester united for england i mean it was incredible to see how not that was a loss that was being mourned by every premier league team just what he meant to england being part of that world cup winning team and you know, one of the guys who's part of that exclusive eight-guy club to have won the Champions League slash European Cup, World Cup, and a Ballon d'Or. But based on what everyone has ever said about him, it might be true that he was actually a... This might be the rare case where he actually was a... Might have been a better person than he was a soccer player. Yeah, uh, a true legend of the game. I think what you said earlier, the fact that, you know, diehard like ardent Liverpool fans would would and still do talk about how much they admired and enjoyed watching Sir Bobby play. Like that when when your most hated rivals have nothing but positive things to say about you and you were a perennial winner, you you know you were good. Yeah. Uh, um and the man you side of things, obviously he survived the Munich air crash which saw a lot of his friends and teammates like 12 of them die um really cool thing i saw in a documentary one time that always stuck out with me when manu finally won their first european cup slash champions league in 1968 
as everyone was kind of celebrating, there was a moment later on where apparently Sir Bobby went into the locker room and cried, thinking about all the friends he had lost 12 years before. Um, just a really cool guy, really cool story. A lot of good documentary, like free documentaries on YouTube about him. Um, you know, for decades and decades, he was both England and Man U's top goal scorer. Um, but, so that was a real bummer. Yeah. But, that's... you know, luckily he had a very long, long and incredibly accomplished life. And he also got to enjoy, as a fan of United, uh, watching them be a dominant force for so many so many decades, too, under the stewardship of Sir Alex Ferguson, which, you know, he, he had to enjoy that as well. Um, there's a different... Premier League story that I really wanted to talk about and discuss, and we can talk about it as it focuses on the specific team, but there's a wider conversation to be had. And I am referring to Everton's 10-point deduction, which is, I think, incredibly fascinating on a couple different levels. One, you know, if at any point last season, the season before, uh, or even the season before that, if Everton had been hit with a ten point deduction, they were gonna they were finishing dead last in the league. Like that's how 100%. dire they were, um, and just an absolute train wreck clusterfuck. Um, this year, they were hit with their ten point deduction, um, automatically like, immediately you know put into the drop zone. And just a few matches later have already climbed themselves back out of that drop zone. Um, and I think it's a real testament to what Sean Dyke has got going on over at Everton. Um, but how is it that these governing bodies were so quick and able to adjudicate the infractions and the, the problems that have happened over at Everton? but we still have no ruling or verdict on the 117 financial crimes that Manchester City has already been caught doing. Well, Eric, remember, it's important when we talk about this, I think, I think you articulated the issues very well here, my friend. Remember something very important. We as Americans, we, our legal system, our way of life, it's all modeled off of England. Once upon a time, we were just an English colony. And much like in America, money talks. And rich people do not commit crimes the same way as poor people. Now, in this context, the owner of Everton is certainly not someone you could call poor by our standards. But within the realm of Premier League owners, he is poverty compared to Manchester City's ownership group. The reason is because Manchester City can grease the wheels in a way that Everton simply cannot. Furthermore... The Premier League, as an institution and a product, cannot have its recent Champions League winner and and, and the. It, I mean, currently, it's three-time three uh, Premier League winner. Yeah, right. There. I mean, I, it, it truly part of my soul is about to die that I say this. In the last seven or eight years, Pep's bald head has been the face of the league. With the occasional every few years alternative being Jurgen Klopp's veneers. Correct. Correct. So, the Premier League, the country of England, can't let everyone know that all of that is built on dirty, dirty crime. 
<laughs> and more than that, more than that, the soccer community, Pep, soccer, the soccer world loves two people more than all others. Pep Guardiola on the one hand, Leo Messi on the other hand. We'll talk about Leo Messi in here in a little bit. But they can't let everyone know that Pep's only successful if he has Messi or if he commits 117 criminal things. So I also had a, a slightly different take on answering my own question. And that is, one, perhaps Man City is onto something. Maybe the reason that there has been no official ruling or punishment or anything is because the number of, of crime, criminal acts committed is so vast that they, they have not been able to um, do their due diligence on every single act. They you don't have the resources to, to investigate to, it. They, they, and they can't rule in summary until they've summarized all acts. So that, that was one, one thing. And then where Everton... Uh, faltered where Man City haven't is I think one of the issues and one of the uh, infractions Everton committed was their ownership group didn't actually have the money that they claimed that they had whereas Man City's ownership group do have the money and the money keeps flowing so like the Premier League is way less interested on punishing somebody who has money to keep giving them and way more interested in punishing somebody who cannot provide them any more money. So your second point is very similar to my first concept in that, just like in America, we will always punish the poor more than we punish the rich. Yeah, but also, like, and and, and the other part is, like, they're more interested in punishing somebody who has defrauded them, like, like, you know, if they were bouncing fake checks, versus somebody who was skirting some tax regulation loophole kind of thing or doing discriminatory hiring practices. I'm not saying that's what Man City's doing, but like if we're equating it to to criminal acts. Well that Well that's... they are discriminating in the sense that they refuse to hire a manager who's not a criminal. That <laughs> that is a form of discrimination. <laughs> um so I think I saw something on Twitter that like by the logic applied to Everton <laughs> Manchester City should be like in the league that Wrexham started out in in the Re- in the Welcome to Wrexham documentary. They should be, uh, they, yeah, they should be outside of the official pyramid. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, I mean, Everton right now are in seventeenth on on thirteen points, but you know they've also it's just funny they have seven wins and they have thirteen points. They have a better record than Chelsea. They got deducted 10 points, and they're still only six points behind Chelsea, which is a whole other can of worms. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and we will get there with the Premier League. Sticking to the topic of news, I alluded to before. Um, somehow, is, despite... Is that the most, is that the most generic uh, like segue ever? Sticking to the topic of news... <laughs> That's like, as I say, speaking of talking. <laughs> Not only was it the most generic, it might be worse than what I've ever done. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> despite scoring an insane amount of goals, leading Manchester City to a historic treble 
winning at pretty much every competition he could win that he was in, it was not enough for Erling Holland to win the Ballon d'Or over Messi, which was kind of a wild decision in my opinion. So, I know I made the little jab at awards shows in the intro. How is it? And I know we also only podcast like four times a year, so like there's a lot to cover. How do I always end up in a goddamn conversation about soccer awards? It's a thing that I just have never really cared about. I'm never going to give a flying fuck about. And I say all this to ask this blown to or vote. Did this include the World Cup, or did this not include the World Cup? It did include the World Cup. There's your reason, like, like that's that's the voters' reason. Sure, why. sure. Now I but think that should have made himself ineligible when, when considering he went to MLS. Unless did the MLS season was that no like was no that counted too. This is this is so fucking absurd. Here's my thing about that. I get it. First of all. This is the first time... So, the Ballon d'Or voters themselves are, have been inconsistent. All but four times in the last, I want to say, 15 years, the winner of the Champions League, usually... A, a Champions League winner usually wins the Ballon d'Or. Um, three of the four times they deviated it from that, they deviated in favor of Messi. Further, a World Cup winner has not won the Ballon d'Or since 2006. So, by their own metrics of kind of recent history, they have never weighted the World Cup this strongly. Messi mm-hmm. was not very good at PSG. Being good at MLS really means nothing. So, we are waiting. So, if you think about it, they have decided to break precedent, wait weigh a four-week tournament to be greater than what but, Holland accomplished throughout an entire season you, of dominance. What you're not, what you're not taking into consideration is... Nobody has ever been as good from the penalty spot in World Cups as Messi was this last World Cup. That is a good point. You know that something is broken when I am advocating that a Manchester City player should have won the Ballon d'Or. Well, it's also and it's also a Manchester City player who, through no fault of his own, was never going to be in contention for World Cup consideration just because of the extreme difficulty that a country like Norway has in qualifying for the world cup. Right. Like it just to further double down your point, you are punishing a player because of his birth nation. I just, I know you don't care about the awards and I I respect that you don't. I do. As someone who has always loved the history of the game this award is the only award that matters to me. And, 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 and it's, it's starting to become clear to me when Lewandowski got fucked out of it a couple of years ago that it's just a popularity contest. It's who do these voters like? Well, I have a question for you. And about what narrative the, do they want to push? And it's just I, – I, so I feel sad about that. I have, so I know that this is – it's a French award. Yes. Does that mean all of the voters are French? No. No, 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 no. The voters are from all over the place. All over Europe or all over the world? All over the world. Okay. 
I, I, I was just curious and if your answers had been different, I would have posited a, a conspiracy theory, but I will respectfully not make a fool out of myself. This so, time. um, any other news? Oh, the Beckham documentary. I watched that. Yeah. I liked it. I think that if you're a Man U fan, you probably, you're, if, if you're a, like a decent slash diehard Man U fan, you did not learn anything new. But some of the footage was cool. The player interviews, though, like they had so many yeah. great players giving interviews. That was really, really cool. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, enjoy, I, I like that I watched it. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't think this is the case for, for a majority of Manchester fans, but I know there were some that weren't thrilled with his decision to leave United and, and go, you know, across the continent. Um, but I think if, if that was your point of view, and I know it wasn't your point of view, but the generic your, uh, I think this was a great opportunity to like be reminded of kind of the kind of person that Beckham is. He's, he's a, he's a very likable guy. Very likable. Super likable. He always has been a likable guy and seems pretty, like, like comes across genuine, um, the parts like. Him uh, calling out Victoria. Uh, <laughs> yes, like, yes. That, that, that might have been the funniest part of the whole thing. Like, it, like there's just, just, it was an enjoyable watch. And it, it was a fun watch that, like, I think partially because of Victoria and stuff, it was also easy to get uh, non-soccer interested uh, people who may have an affinity for um, the Spice Girls to also watch the, yeah. the documentary. Um, I had three things I kind of wanted to comment on the documentary series. One, this is not really about the documentary series, but man, you know, Beckham was a good-looking young kid, but the dude just keeps getting hotter every year. That That is a remarkable trait, to just get hotter as you're getting older. Um, yeah, it's like, it's, he's kind of like got that George Clooney thing going. Oh, yeah, big time. Two, um, the interview of Diego Simeone, when he <laughs> talked about the, the red card and the incident, the joy in Simeone's <laughs> eyes while talking about it and the total lack of regret, that is like the, that was like gold to me. I loved yeah. like, you could tell like he was like a hundred out of a hundred times, I would have done exactly what I did and I would have gotten that motherfucker sent off. That moment is the epitome of, of like, of Simeone. Yeah. Yeah. As a player, as a manager, as a developer of young men. <laughs> yeah, I I love that. Um, what was the third thing about the documentary? I didn't have... I guess I forgot what the third thing was, but those two things really... Uh... Okay, okay, Rick Perry. <laughs> there, there was a third thing. <laughs> um, those two things really, really stood out to me. Um... And oh oh the third thing okay I don't know this, this is, is great content <laughs> yeah here it is when they talked about the affair allegations I noticed something okay in, in that documentary he never said the allegations were untrue or or anything denying it he said they were hurtful and they were malicious. But he never discussed the veracity of it. And so, <laughs> gun to my head, 
he stepped out one time and they got over it. But I, but I was like, well, I was really paying attention and I'm like, just the words he was using to describe it, but none of them were like, and it was total bullshit too. It was just like, <laughs> and they talk about the pain for both of them and stuff. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, you know, he might've done it. <laughs> I don't know. That was the last thing that I was just like, hmm. And, and you know he had final edits, so I'm just like, uh. So that's the Beckham documentary. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was, that was fun. It was a good little four episode, uh, bit of content. Let's, uh. Segments? Well, before we jump into the leagues, we did see recently. Copa 2024 uh, group stages or group drawings were announced. Yep. So uh, there were were four groups and uh, U.S. and Mexico as the two top uh, CONCACAF teams got pot A treatment along with the top two South America teams, Conanball being Argentina and Brazil. So those were the four uh, pot A groups, which was just, you know, kind of nice knowing we weren't going to draw Argentina or Brazil in the group stage. Uh, we did end up drawing Uruguay, which to me is the toughest uh, of like this, of those next four pot B teams. And I'm actually happy about that. Like, you know, I, I, I wasn't going into this draw being like, I want the easiest possible group to assure advancement. Um, you know, it's it's forgetting the other two. Are we like we have Bolivia as well? Yeah, Bolivia. And, and then another Concacaf team. Like maybe it was. No, I think we got Panama. Maybe yes, Panama, Panama. You're right. Uh, so like we should we should easily be able to be top two in this group, and it really I think should be, especially because we're at home, we should expect to top the group. Although Uruguay will be a very difficult challenge. And I'm glad that we're guaranteed at least, you know, one game against a, a talented World Cup caliber team in Uruguay. Um, I completely agree. I think that this, to me, it's just like, we got to just get the boys ready for 2026 and start sharpening the team and, Everything should everything should be about that, it, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really pumped, and uh, hopefully we can be. We're, I know there's going to be uh, some of the games um, in the Dallas area, so I think we're uh, we're talking about the, going. The U.S. has one game uh, in the group stage at Gerald. Yeah, um, so we may try to to attend that, and and if we can, it'll be, it'd be fun to do like a a little live, you know, uh, reaction pod that yes. night or something uh so that's that's our plan if we can get tickets we'll we'll be there the other thing i just wanted to you know it's months out it's way too early to prognosticate on who who are you calling up who are you going with i that being said i'm gonna go now do exactly that and ask you just one specific question that i've been thinking about because the idea, and I agree with you, it's not we need to win the Copa America 2024. That would be sick. That would be so but, sick. But it needs to, it, we need to try to win the Copa 
in service of getting this team ready for, like you said, for 26, for the World Cup, for the the big thing. With that in mind, even if he still, you know, ends this season playing the same level that he played the first half of the season and all of last season, is Tim Ream your, your, one of your two starting center backs? Or would you sacri- bring him on, get have him in the, in the, in the group, but have him play more of a leader from, you know, like a, a leader role and start making space for someone like CCV or, or even Miles Robinson, if he can get his form back, whoever it is, uh, to partner with Chris Richards thinking about 2026 because Timmy is getting up there in two more years, two more years. Yeah, I am of the camp that it is probably best for the long term. And, and he has been an unheralded and often neglected servant of the national team. And this is meant to be with no disrespect to Tim Ream. Because I think other coaches have not. I've I've said some mean things about Tim Ream. And I have apologized. Not to him because he would never talk to me. Uh, but on this pod, I've, I've, I've mentioned apologies before. And... What you just said, I think, is exactly it. Those often hurtful things I had said were almost always after outings where he was used as a left back and yeah. just burnt like toast left in a toaster. Yeah. Um, and his national team transition to where he should have always been as a center back has you know been incredible. He's also just like he's. But he's played better as a center back at Fulham these last few years than he had uh, previously. Like he's he's gotten better with it. He's gotten smarter, uh, better positioning, uh, maybe even stronger. But it's just it's gonna be hard to keep that up as he keeps getting older. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would probably start to have him as in the locker room as as you know leadership part of the leadership group. But in terms of if we're looking at 2026, we do need to start figuring out if we have – I really do think – I mean, if I'm having to forecast from now, I really do think CCV and Chris Richards might be the way to go in 2026. So you might as well start playing them together now so they start getting that chemistry with one another. It's not just a – I mean, like, like because we auto-qualify for the World Cup, we do not have World Cup qualifying, which means – the Copa is really our one real chance for yeah. competitive games. And then, I mean, there's always random gold cup, which I guess would be in 2025, but like, that's usually a joke of a tournament. So it's hard to care too much about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. That, that was just, that was, no, a good I, 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 I want to take a, a U.S detour to I, I talk about that and then I think we'll bring up some occasional US men's national team player stuff as we jump into our, our segments and our and our league breakdown and stuff. Alright, we gotta do a Hawkeye of the Week slash three months. <laughs> but well actually that, that's an important delineation. Are we picking Hawkeye of the Week or are we picking Hawkeye of the last three months? Listen, my guy has been so hot lately. He could be. He could apply as the Hawkeye of the week or the Hawkeye of the last three months. That's how hot my guy's been. Is he English? No. Oh, okay. He's not a player either. 
Okay. But he I, know, is, I, know, I know you're going. You know where I'm going. He has been elf. You've been, uh, you've been, you've been partaking in some schnitzel. I have been partaking in some schnitzel. My hot guy of the week and of the last, uh, of really the last two and a half, three months, Shabby Alonso, without a doubt. Oh my god, his Bayer Leverkusen team has not lost a game in any competition. Uh, they are top of the Bundesliga. They just topped their um, Europa League group. They are playing awesome soccer. They just, he is just has that team. I mean, he just has them fired. They're dialed. They are dialed. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, it just seems that if Klopp, you know, the flotation with Klopp and the German national team rumors that always come up, I just feel like Liverpool are just going to sign Shabby Alonso and he's going to be awesome for them too. And I'm just going to be really miserable. I can, I'm kind of reading the tea leaves here. So what I'm hoping actually happens is that Don Carlo goes to Brazil and then Shabby Alonso can go to Real Madrid. And he doesn't have to go to Liverpool. I haven't been following up on it recently, but like, it seems like Carlo to Brazil is happening. It does seem like it's happening. So that does give you an, an opportunity, although, yeah, I mean, that would suck for you so bad. It would be so hard, because, like, I, 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 like, Leverkusen is, like, the way I want Man U to play. Like, watching them, it's like... You just love their full packs, you <laughs> I would also not mind signing their right back, but I'll get to that in my full back of the week segment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my hot guy. Shabby Long. Okay. Um, my hot guy of the week, because I'm not I'm still unclear for picking hot guy of the week or hot guy of the last two and a half months. I'm just gonna go with the guy who's been the best signing of the summer transfer uh, window, and that's Jude Bellingham. Yeah. This he's hot and he like he's been honestly Fucking give, let, let me hand out the blood to Or because right now I'm giving the next one to Jude Bellingham. Oh, there is no doubt in my mind that Jude Bellingham is the best player in the world right now. It, he is, he is and, and thus that would make him the best English player in the world right now. Sorry, Harry Kane, you are very, very good. But, like, I'm just going to give you Jude Bellingham in La Liga. This is La Liga. 14 games, 12 goals, 2 assists. Jude Bellingham in the Champions League. Five games, four goals, three assists. And like he's a midfielder. Also, he's a midfielder. Also, like an absurd percentage of those goals are like game tying or game winning goals. Like there's he he doesn't he doesn't score the garbage time goals that like don't matter. He's scoring the games that literally are the goals that decide the matches. Right. Which is great because like I feel like what that means is if he actually cared about scoring goals, he could be scoring more. Oh, but like sure. once what once the once the just like result is is in in their favor, he's just like, nah, I'm good. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try that hard for that shit. Like I like that. It's it's not a goal scorer's mentality. He's just that good. Yeah. He is fucking incredible. I'm glad you brought him up. Um I very very well. I think I think we kind of nailed. If you had to say what manager has had the best kind of two and a half months, and you know since we potted in which player, I mean I think we kind of nailed those. Yeah, we nailed those big time. Um, fullback of the week. 
I have two because I couldn't choose. Pick them. You go. You go. You okay. go. <laughs> Obviously, it's Byer, Leverkusen's wingbacks. Uh, both who are both five seven, both short kings. <laughs> you knew this was coming. I knew you were gonna pick, were gonna pick both. <laughs> uh, Alejandro Grimaldo on the left. These are just his league stats. He's a fullback. Fourteen games, seven goals, four assists. And on the right, Jeremy Frimpong, who I desperately want Manu to sign. I have never want. I have not wanted a signing this bad since I wanted Wesley Schneider. <laughs> That never panned out for me. He's got that was, those. That was like a five year. Uh, you were you were unbearable. <laughs> I think I've always been unbearable, but maybe specific, especially unbearable those five years. Um, he's got four goals er, and six assists. Just the I mean, he's just incredible. This is such a good team. They're so good. They're so so good. That's all I got. I mean, what, what more do you need? Well, that's if man you didn't suck ass. Well, well, guys, because Donnie uh, took two fullbacks, I don't get to pick a fullback of the week. So uh, that's just that's that's how the bylaws work. What, what a masterful spin on not having a fullback ready to go. The same. No, that's why. That's why he. That's why they call him the gaffer. Fuck off. I, wa- I walked into uh, into recording. I got I got here a little early, and Donnie was in a full on production meeting with the with the production team. And I realized, you know, he really is the one calling the shots here. Yeah, they were giving me the script that you wrote, so I know what my lines were. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> do we want to just talk about the leagues? I really don't want. To. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I think we should talk about the leagues, and here's. What I think, we're gonna save our clubs for the. They're gonna be the last clubs we talk about in, in the respective league, so that we don't get tunnel vision on our two clubs in a, in a fucking pity, pity party. That's a great idea. Um, which league would you like to start with? You get you get you get to pick that one, buddy. Okay, great. The world is your oyster. Well, let's talk about the Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on this podcast. Two and a half months ago, I said that if Harry Kane can't win a trophy at Bayern Munich, he only has two left because since we've recorded, he got knocked out of the cup. Or maybe that was last episode. Who gives a flying fuck? He can only either win the league or the Champions League. That's it. Those are his chances at a trophy. Remember, this man has never won a trophy. He's had 77 attempts to do so. And, and Bayern have like won the last the league like last 11, seven times or 11 times or like something absurd. No, it was like 10. Yeah. Yeah, 10 or 11. <laughs> Bayer Leverkusen has the opportunity to do the funniest thing ever if they can actually win the title, or so, Stuttgart can win the title. So, in in like in reference to that, we should mention um, right now, Bayern have played one less game than everybody else because their game with with Onion Berlin got snowed out. Uh, I think it was two match days ago. Mm. So right now, Leverkusen have a four-point lead on on Bayern, but Bayern have that one game in hand. So they're they're going to beat Onion Berlin because we'll talk about them in a minute. I've 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 watched way too many minutes of them play this game for how fucking shit they've been. Uh, but that's just the kind of sicko I am. Uh, but when they win that, they will still be one point. 
behind Leverkusen. And what I actually want to point out is usually at this point in the season, in seasons past, it's usually been Bayern either tied with with Dortmund, tied with Leipzig, or you know three points or less ahead of those clubs. But their their goal differential is usually like double. You know, and just goes to show like the way they dominate opponents versus the way these other teams maybe eke out some results. Byron's goal differential right now is is plus thirty. Um, Stuttgart, Leipzig, which are three and four, are plus eighteen, plus nineteen. So that kind of fits that pattern I'm describing. Leverkusen's goal differential is plus twenty seven. They're only three goals behind Bayern and I know goal difference doesn't really like mean all that much because if you shit pump somebody 6-2 like it that has a, a pretty outsized effect um, but I think it just goes to show that like this Leverkusen team is beating teams to a similar degree that this Bayern team is doing as well and remember when they played it was an incredible match ended in a tie but you walk away thinking, fuck, dude, Leverkusen could have won that match. Yes, absolutely. They, they weren't, they, you could tell that before the game, they didn't know that they could win that match. But if that when that game's played again, I'm putting the fucking house on Leverkusen because now they know they can win it. I, I, think, we, I think we discussed this maybe in, a, in a, a group text or something, but I felt like Leverkusen players walked away from that in like a very 300 style of like, they've seen this God King bleed and now they believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Harry Kane. Now the funniest version of my storyline, because Harry Kane is scoring it just goals left and fucking right. No one shocked by that. If he beat Lewandowski's goal scoring record, but then <laughs> Bayern still didn't win the Bundesliga. That is the scenario that I am most cheering for. It truly is. It would well, be that, so that funny. Is funny. That is funny because in a sense, it's like Harry Kane gets to say to people, I did my job. Yes. Uh, and so like in that sense, he's not the problem, but he's cursed. Yes. And, and actually, that I think is better for me than it is for you because then it very clearly states that Tuchel's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Dortmund have been very subpar. They, are, you know, they are they have some work to do to make the top four. And Dortmund started out real, real bad, real slow. But I think they've picked it up over like this second quarter of the season. And <laughs> okay. their last five games, they've had three losses, a Ooh. tie, and a draw. So I think what you said was right a month ago. Well, and then where I was actually going to is they did just um, before even the final match day, they topped the group of death pretty, pretty easily in Champions League. So that yes. that was that, that was, was cloudy, that was clouding my judgment. Yes, their league form has been kind of shit. Well, shit. That being said, they're they're four points back yeah. of Leipzig. They're six points back of Stuttgart. So, like, assuming they're able to tighten tighten things up, they'll be in it down the stretch for top four. And also, I mean, I correct if I'm wrong, but the top two leagues in Europe this year 
earn an extra spot in Champions League qualification. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, the way that math comes out, it's Germany's in first and Italy's in second. That is correct. <laughs> and Manu and Newcastle did nobody any favors for England by fucking finishing dead last in their groups, respectively. You are correct, my friend. You are correct. Um, you want to talk about Union Berlin? I... I did want to talk about Union Berlin. The floor is yours. Only, I have nothing to say about it. Only, only in the sense that they were they were such an exciting story last year. They finished top four. They qualified for the Champions League first time ever. Um, they've had some fun games against like Real and Napoli in the Champions League. Um, had some heartbreaking last minute Jude Bellingham goals to just crush their spirit. Um, but they've had some real problems in the Bundesliga. Um, just absolute abysmal. They fired their manager last uh, international break. And as part of the new management structure that, that came into place, uh, they the new manager brought on or, or elevated, I don't know exactly where she came from, but they now have the first female assistant manager in the German Bundesliga, which I thought was a, a, cool, uh, a cool story. Plus, they won their first game in charge the, the, with the new management structure. So, like, that's pretty sweet. That is pretty sweet. All right. Oh, um. so, but, like, before we leave the Bundesliga entirely... I thought we could have a quick discussion about Giovanni Reina. Yeah. Um, the Dortmund current manager fucking hates him. Doesn't Does not ever play him. him. Yeah. He needs to get a loan ASAP literally anywhere in Europe at this point. Really, anywhere where he'll play. I don't give a fuck. I don't give yep. a fuck if it's the Eredivisie. I don't give a fuck if it's La Liga. I don't... Honestly... If it was between staying at Dortmund and starting in the championship, I'd rather him go start in the championship. I really would. Yeah. So um, he needs game time. What? Yeah. Where? Where I was going with this is he is so clearly back in the the um, rotation of this manager's mind. Like in the league where they've been struggling mightily. He's not getting any minutes, even when they, they're chasing results and need to get goals, which is wild because I feel like that's when you would definitely put Gio in. He did make a sub appearance in this last uh, Champions League game, which, as I mentioned, was completely irrelevant for Borussia Dortmund. They were already guaranteed top of the group, but he looked lively. He created... Um, he set up some good passes and good opportunities that his teammates couldn't capitalize on. Uh, but like he, he looked up for it against PSG. So you got, you got nail exactly right in the head. Like he, he, he needs a, a winter loan anywhere where he can play, where he will play. Literally anywhere. My, anywhere my ideal, ideal scenario would be he gets a six month short term loan and somewhere where he can play and then gets able to parlay that into some sort of summer transfer fee, you know, for a decent amount that will get him to an interesting place where he will be able to, you know, impress the manager. And I think we've seen with a different talented attacking American player that like sometimes your manager or your managers just don't rate you. 
and it can be really hard to break through, that doesn't mean that you're shit or that you're not good enough because we've seen Pulisic move from Chelsea to Milan and he's statistically been like Milan's best rated player this season. Yeah. And he's like best performing winger in Serie A this season. So like, it's not over for, for Gio, but I think it needs to be over for him at Dortmund. Yeah. Yep. Well said. All right. Let's go to La Liga. Girona are at the top of the table. They are the big surprise. And normally, we would be super hyped about it a fairy- would be so cool if it wasn't so shitty. About like a fairy tale team in La Liga. But, you know, the fact that they're half owned by Manchester City just makes it all kind of poopy. It makes it gross. It, it, it's, it's so sickening. Um, right behind them are, of course, Real Madrid, followed by Atletico Madrid, who has a game in hand on everybody, and then Barcelona, where I think Xavi might be on the hot seat. Fourth in La Liga for Barcelona and Real Madrid is unacceptable. That's, that's unacceptable. Obviously, it's halfway through the season. They've got opportunities to pick up points and make up ground, but they're seven points behind Girona. Five points behind Real. Like they've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. I will say one thing that was kind of sick for Barcelona, they when they played Atletico Madrid a couple weeks ago, you know, Jao Felix got a lot of hate from the Atletico Madrid fans who was their record transcript fee. Him to score the only winning goal, I'm sure on a personal level was probably yeah. very cathartic for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't blame the Atletico fans for like having some vitriol towards him. Not at all. Uh, because I do think when the um, when the transfer was announced in his first like interview press conference, he was like, "Going to Barcelona has always been a dream of mine." Yep. And I I think he said very similar like words in his introductory press conference to Atletico Madrid when that happened a few years back. So it's just like, I mean, you're going to, you're going to get it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, The two teams that have shocked me with how bad they have been in the league, Sevilla, which is shocking for them to be so bad, but more alarming of all, who would currently be relegated to our beloved Celta Vigo and Luca De La Torre. It's uh, it's not looking good for, you know, and I think I think you you mentioned this uh, I think on our last pod that you were you were you were starting to get concerned because, and I think the way you said it was was actually really well put. They're not getting any sort of like draws or any sort of results against the big fish, and like that's where Celta Vigo fucking has feasted and why we've loved them so much over the past few years is like they're often the speed bump to you know whoever is trying to challenge the in the winner of a league um and and they only have one win that is so bad how do you you have one win in six how does almira have zero Like, um, in 16 games, you should lock yourself into at least one win like Celta Vigo and Granada did. <laughs> Dude, how does Sevilla only have two wins? This I is why know. La Liga is kind of a joke. It, it The top-end teams in La Liga can compete with the top-end teams anywhere. The reason why I could never accept La Liga as the best team in the world is that their mid and bad teams would get crushed by other leagues' mid and bad teams, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean... 
Like, like Lutton Town would fucking the dick eight, and all. The, eight, the 18th place team in Italy, Empoli, has three wins. Yeah. Right? Like, like I see what you're saying because we've <laughs> yeah, got three, three teams in Spain that have less than two wins. Right. The worst three teams in the Prem all have two wins. At least. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Let's go into Sliga looking at Okay. Yeah. This, this is it's pretty wild. <laughs> I'm so sad for Celta Vita. Oh, I was really hoping you weren't going to point out that they only had one win. Because when you were like, yeah, they're not really getting wins against the big boys like they do. And I was thinking like, dude, they're not getting wins against any. They're not getting wins against their own reserves. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough look for your boys. Yeah, let's just let's just leave them. There are only two. We're not going to talk about Uber Eats League, so there are only no. two leagues left to talk. About. I'm letting I'm letting you call the shot. The shots here. Okay. Um. Let's go to Italy. Yeah, I had a feeling you were delaying yours for as long as possible. Eric, you you are the chief Syria correspondent on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky um, you. Lucky, lucky me. Okay. This has not gone well for your boy here. Because somehow... Honestly, here's how we're going to start this out with. In every game that this team plays in, they're like tied or losing going into the 80th minute. Yet somehow Roma has luck way into fourth place on this table. I'm it, so mad you bullied me out of them being in fourth. I'm so mad they're not gonna fi- They're not finishing in top four, but they might finish in a Champions League spot in fifth place. <laughs> might be the funniest result of all. That would be even better somehow. I don't think, I don't think over the course of, of the second half of the season they're going to hold off Napoli. I don't. Well, it depends on how many more times Napoli is going to call their star striker a coconut. Dude, that was, I mean, like, get, I think I think give that scenario the Oni now for, like, wildest non-soccer soccer story. Like the most what-the-fuck story of the year with <laughs> that TikTok. <laughs> okay, so... Interesting, yeah. Roma started out in dire straits. It seemed this was the perfect third season. Jose blow up. They've since righted the ship. They've they're in fourth. Um, you know, they're out of the title race. They're thirteen points behind Inter. Um, it's not going to happen. It's it's a two horse race for the Serie A title. You've got Inter at thirty eight points, and you've got Juventus who have. Uh, come back a lot uh, to life at 36 points and it really really hurts just watching these be the two teams you know like well, at least last year it was napoli right like like yeah. when when it was clear that it wasn't going to be milan it was clear that it was napoli yeah this sucks inter and milan are both on 19 league titles so uh, whoever wins the next league gets the second star on the jersey. And it's, it's, so, like, I have to want it to be Juventus. Oh. <laughs> but, like, also, I mean, like, yeah, like, the, I would, it just sucks that I had to root for Juventus in that sense because yeah. 
but it is it is what it is. So that 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 sucks. Also, like watching Juventus is fucking painful because they only play Weston or Weya. They never put them together because Allegri, the terrorist he is, uh, plays them only at fucking wing back, which is actually an interesting use of of Weya, but I think is a real, real misuse of Weston's talent. Completely agree. It reminds me of like back when he was still at Schalke when they were a financial disaster and just plugged him in at every position except for a goalkeeper. In one season, he played like every single uh, position for Schalke and played a lot of of, of, uh, fullback for them there. And it's just like, because he can do it. He's versatile and skillful enough that he can do it. But he's never going to shine there. And, And as soon as like... Juventus get an opportunity to bolster their squad. That that'll that'll be a spot they're going to look at because that's not his natural fit. And then as a result, like I think that's why almost every summer transfer window, it's like Juventus are potentially looking to move on from Weston. Uh, they're not they're not getting the offers they want for Weston, so like, he's stuck in this limbo. And it's because they never use him where he's best at. Nobody wants to pay what they want for him because nobody sees him play where he's best at. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think it's totally true, and I think you hit it on the head. I mean, Inter and Juve have just been kind of been juggernauts out of the gate. Yeah. Um, you know, there are only three teams that have not lost their last five league games, and it's Inter, Juventus, and Roma somehow, so... It, but, like, Roma's, like, been trailing or, or tied in, like, all of those games. Yes. Going to topic time is it, it's. I I have the text ready to send to you, and then it's like, oh, final 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 minute goal, and I just de- just delete every time. So, yeah, um, not not love that. Napoli though, um, disappointing follow up to their you know really exciting Scudetto season. There's there's something about playing with that that crest on your jersey you know uh, i mentioned this in an earlier episode whoever is ho- the holder of the scudetto of the, the last season's title they get the italian flag shield on their jersey and you know we've we've seen juventus won then inter won then milan won then napoli won and now it looks like it's definitely not going to be napoli this will be the fifth straight uh, season without a repeat mm-hmm. title winner, which well, is great for the league. Great for the league. Yeah. Especially after Juventus won like those eight in a row, whatever it was, like de- desperately needed for from like an overall enjoyment level. Um, but it's just, you know, they're, it's surprising to see Napoli play this poorly. But also, you know, they did have to replace their manager, uh, which is probably why you should do whatever you can to not lose your manager after a title winning season yeah and um it's kind of like in boxing you know it's one thing to win the heavyweight championship but you're not you don't really know what someone's made up until they have to defend the belt and and i think it's an appropriate analogy here where defending the league title the last five years in syria has been impossible so, and, and I feel like there's been lot where it's like to the point where it's like the next season, kind of halfway through the season, the, the previous team 
So Winner almost has like no chance at the league title by then, just the way it's been shaken out. Um, yeah, it's pretty much how, how it's gone down. So we're done with Italy, right? That's it? <laughs> hey, buddy, <laughs> if you want to be done, we can be done. No, I, uh, um, so ha- we haven't talked about Milan yet. And like, <laughs> looking at the, at the league table, it's, am- I don't understand how this team is in third. What I do understand is that this team is nine points off of the lead. Like, that makes sense. How this team is in third is mind-blowing to me, and that is there is the proof that Roma have not actually been doing that well. Because they should, like, a team who's been playing well should be ahead of Milan. We, we've got, we got just dipped on by Inter, um, lost to Juventus off of a proper, but like, dumb, just dumb player choice red card. Uh, we've imploded several times uh, against a team like Atalanta, who's middle, kind of, kind of not what they used to be. Against some lower, lower end teams as well. Like we got problems. We also have no healthy center backs. We we literally have one center back that that is eligible to be playing right now. Uh, just Vicayo Tamore. Every other center back is hurt. The backups are hurt. Their backups are hurt. Teo Hernandez, the best left back in the fucking world, had to go to his manager and said, play me at center back. I can do it. The and injuries you know what? to the center back position are almost uncanny. When one put it's like it's like this. If this were football and there was a like American football and there was a center backs coach, you'd have to think about the training techniques behind the center backs. To lose this many guys in one position is mind-boggling to me. So, I, I used to say one thing when when Teo went to Pioli and like was like, "Put me here, I I will do it." Boy, it made me wish we still had Maldini as a part of this uh, yeah. leadership team because um, I don't think there's anybody who could have maybe mentored somebody real time better uh, than that. But we burned that bridge. So that was that was just unfortunate, and if you believe in in curses and hexes, <laughs> there might be something there. Um, so all that to say, like things are have not been going well um, in the last like two months or so. On crash out of the Champions League, like. And like over, I, I, we did not deserve to to, to advance. It, it wasn't like uh, we got boned, we got screwed, we got unlucky. We just couldn't, we couldn't fucking score. Um, and that turns out to be important in competitions. But there has been one bright spot. Christian Pulisic. No, the Milan marketing team, because Pulisic apparently was a marketing signing. And he's the best performing winger in the league, so you gotta give the Milan marketing team all the credit. Props to those marketers, baby. Pulisic has been in, in incredible to watch. He's playing well, he's getting results. You know, he leads uh, all wingers in Syria in non penalty goals, which you and I have talked about as like that's a more true showcase of of who's producing it's a better metric Uh, metric of production yeah he's like 
top six in assists. He's like top three in uh, chances created. He's top two in successful dribbles. Like he's 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 killing it. He's playing well. It's fun to see. Yunus Musa has had some really bright spot moments. He's had some really like like bad performances. But he's he's young and he's being asked to do a lot on a like defensively on a team that you know has some a lot of injuries and defensive issues. So you know I don't I don't think. Anybody's like, oh, Musa's not, not up to it. He's just going to take some growing pains to develop. Uh, but from like a U.S. report, things are going well with the boys in Milan, which is which is fun to see. Uh, Another bright spot I'd say has been Reindeers, just how just how quickly he's been able to adapt. I think he's been a bright spot too. Yeah, and uh, you know the one thing would be need to see him be able to put more of his opportunities on goal. He just. That- once he gets one, they'll come. But he needs to get the one. But you can't score two goals if you've not scored one goal. Yeah, I I think he did get one a few a few games back. But um, yeah, hope, hopefully hopefully that that'll lead to a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, it's just been like that final pass or that final shot have just, just been missing. I know. Um, and then Leal was 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 out for the last couple of league games. He just came back for the Newcastle game. Uh, you know. Probably wasn't fully healthy, but he'll he'll be there soon. And then Benacer has finally returned uh, to the squad after missing the entire uh, season so far. So I think you know, in terms of fighting for top four, I like the, this team's chances. It's a shame that we're out of the title race. Question for you? Yeah. Pioli in or Pioli out? I would not I would definitely not out him during this season, right? There's too much to left to play for. The the like I would I would be worried about the turmoil if we got rid of him and tried to bring somebody in. Like I think you could do more damage than you're gonna do good, right? Like at the bare minimum you we have to qualify for the Champions League. We've got a five point or four point cushion on Roma and Bologna, a five-point cushion on Napoli and Fiorentina. Like, I I would not make a move away from Pioli right now. Um, but I would I would be studying possible alternative options. Just do it do it my own. I'm not I'm not reaching out to these possible alternatives or even their no yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're you're not sliding in the dms but you're definitely looking at their pages and your eye fucking a little bit i'm I'm doing my homework yeah you're eye fucking you're eye fucking you're you're, you're not sliding in anyone's dms you're just eye fucking so here's my thing about pioli i think i am a and again you know we've talked about how me not being as emotionally as connected to you gives me a slightly different perspective and so, you know, with that caveat being in there, which I think is important. He wants Serie A. The next season, the team was decimated by injuries. This season, the team is decimated by injuries. And so my perspective, again, more outside looking in, is it's like, well, like, how much can you punish the guy, you know, for, for, for those who are 
not where you are, because you're eye fucking. For those who are like wanting to insert into others, who are, who oh, are yeah, wanting yeah, full yeah. penetration, yeah. To, yeah, I'm yeah. speaking to those people. How much can you blame someone for things like that, where it's just like that's some shitty luck? Can I can I counter here? Of course, this is a discussion. We are more injury devastated than basically every team we've played in Italy this season. Last season, it was kind of a similar similar situation. Why are we more injured than our uh, our counterparts in Italy? At some point, we need to be looking at the, like the training system regiment. Like, like, what are we doing that is is providing a higher clip of injuries than everybody else in our same league? That's also in these European competitions that has like a similar number of games played. Like, that is one one thing that I I want to see. I'm not. I'm too lazy to do the data myself, but I love to like see what's going on there because something there is not quite right. And now, I, would, also part, I would agree part with that, it, but that could not be Piola's fault. That could be for, because we're speculating, right? So yeah, that absolutely could be something Piola's doing in training that's not good, but it could also be like a host of other things that he maybe yeah. doesn't control. And, and you, you just asked like, can you really blame the guy for that? I'm just pointing out an avenue where that could be the case. Now, I will also say, like, a lot of times the players that have gotten hurt have been uh, the French players we have that, that go play for the French national team um, and get hurt on duty with the French national team. That's like almost all of Mike Mignon's long injuries have been while on duty with the fucking French national team. Giroud's gotten injured with the French national team, but you he's know, also... You know they're having orange. They're all getting hurt. Oh, they're just fucking... It's, it's, yeah. it's just orange injuries. Well, but, but also, you know, I mean... What team? What what national team has probably played like more competitive games over the last five six years than the French national team with their deep World Cup runs, their deep Euro runs? Like, yeah, they're they're logging a lot of minutes. Yeah. Um, so I, I you know there, you could argue that, but I just I'm not out, but I'm not I'm not committed to him next year. You're eye fucking. You're keeping. You're eye fucking. <laughs> you're eye fucking. Maybe in a, a couple of months you're gonna be in someone's DMs. Maybe in a couple of months there'll be some light finger play. We don't know. But you're eye fucking. You're in, you're in your eye fucking stage. Um, are you ready to go to the uh, Premier League? Or are you anything you want to sign us off with? I will say it's very funny to me because we were talking about teams with one wins. Udinese has one win, but because they have so many draws, they are right now not in the relegation zone which is fun they have nine draws that's awesome like they're like and poli has triple the wins that udinese <laughs> does but they're level on points because udinese just ripping draws left and right that's sick that's the italian way man that was that was how this league was designed in the fucking 50s <laughs> just like the champion which just had 20 draws <laughs> That's that's the invincible season I want somebody to have is a zero win invincible season. <laughs> Thirty eight draws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anything else? Nah, man. Oh, um, yeah. Actually, I did have something. I think the mo- the, the the two spots I would love to see Gio end up at for like a like a six month loan, Roma. Hey, yeah. 
And actually, the one that I would really like, Fiorentina. Ooh, I would love to see him in that purple jersey. Who's uh, uh, my boy Jack Bonaventura is still playing there, playing well, but he's getting a little old, and I can see Gio providing a very similar uh, you know, skill set. Sure. And their their manager is Vincenzo uh, Italiano, which is like that's like the dude's name is Vincent Italy, which is sick. So Italian. It's absolutely amazing. That would be like that would be like the U.S.'s manager being Jack America. That would be awesome. Probably better than Greg Berhalter. I mean, absolutely. Okay. Um, well, I guess Champions League and wrap it up. <laughs> okay. So. Let's talk about this. Okay, where am I going to start? Well, there's nowhere good I'm going to start. So I'll just, let me start with this. Liverpool, kind of, I had them in my top four for this season. I kind of expected a resurgence, but they've even surprised me a little bit where they're, they're now putting on a title challenge as they sit top of the table. Um, I think we, we, we all expected Arsenal to be in the mix. They are. The surprise of the season has really been Aston Villa. I mean, they are two points off the top of the table. Emery, Unai Emery's got that team looking so good. Um, and in fourth place right now, and obviously there's a lot of games to be played, is Man City. So this is a very interesting mix. Obviously, the big surprise is being kind of Man City being a little subpar out of the gate and Aston Villa being so strong. Um and then Tottenham had a really had the, no team has ever finished worse than third based on Tottenham start. Tottenham are now in fifth, have been absolutely decimated by injuries, have won one of their last five league games, and just do not look like the same team right now with a lot of blown leads in those games yeah. too. So and they're you said they're fifth, they're seven points off of uh, Liverpool uh, yeah. for that top spot. So it's, it's and I mean yeah, it's really interesting. Just kind of you know, Aston Villa is a huge story. I think this season maybe Tottenham was a big story at the beginning of the season, but they're kind of trailing off. Man City's kind of you know not as strong as we would expect them. So just very very interesting stuff. I mean, also very interesting. You can't leave out the fact that Chelsea sit at twelve on nineteen points. Yeah, dude, Fulham is ahead of Chelsea. 10. Yeah. I mean, look at all the London clubs. Is there a London... The only London club that Chelsea's in front of is fucking Crystal Palace. Brentford, Fulham, Westham, Tottenham, Arsenal. They're the sixth best London team in the Premier League. That's wild. Chelsea have been so bad. And, I mean, there's just... Like, they've, they dumped so much money into the squad. You know Chelsea's bad when Man U beat them. That was like the kiss of death for Chelsea. Yeah, that that that's that five six seven is super interesting. Also, uh, right uh, down at eight, which is kind of wild to be saying Brighton down at eight, but you know I feel like a little they've lost a little bit of luster. The the shine has worn off a little bit. There's nothing. You know, to be ashamed of being eighth place in the Premier League when you look at like the 
the budget and spend of their operation. Um, that's a super respectful place to be. But not where we've seen them be at previous seasons or even earlier this season. So that'll be something interesting to watch. And as we watch that, what does that mean about Deserby, who you know has caught the eye of, of bigger clubs in England, back in Italy, and across the continent? Yeah. Um, so a lot of good storylines. Kind of on the U.S. end, Jedi Robinson became, I think, the first American in the Premier League to get an assist in three consecutive Premier League matches. He has been that, nasty. I think I think it's time for that discussion. The absolute snub of U.S. soccer. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So U.S. soccer last week put out their finalists for Male Player of the Year. Yep, and it's a fucking sham. Jedi Robinson was not on. It is only the only way that you could view this action as is as a discriminatory and attack on the sanctity of the fullback position everywhere. Because the this award would have in, in any sort of world of reality, this is a toss-up between if you look at performance for club and country for the year of 2023, it's toss-up between Christian Pulisic or Jedi Robinson. Either answer is acceptable. Both answers and are correct. What, and what's wild, what's wild is like you can cut this award up in three different ways, right? We're only looking at how they perform for the national team. That's one way. We're only looking at how they perform for their club. That's another way. That'd be a weird way to do it, but that's, that's a way to do it. And then how it probably is, how it should be, is it's an amalgamation, a combination of how they perform both at their national team and at the club level. And in all three ways, it it's a toss-up, I, I think, yes. as a toss-up between Pulisic and, and Jedi. Yes. And he's not even a fucking finalist. Again, it just shows that, unfortunately, we just still live in an age of discrimination when it comes to the fullback position. Um, I'm glad this podcast does something about it and takes a stand on the serious issues that matter. I hope my children do not have to live in a world where fullbacks are treated like second-class citizens. You want to you you feel really bad, Donnie? <laughs> Depends on what you have to say next. Go ahead. Because you picked two fullbacks for your uh, fullback of the week, you actually stole Jedi Robinson's fullback of the week nomination Damn. that I was going to give him because I was going over the last two and a half months. <laughs> You're, where so, he had, no. You're such a he liar. Had that, he had that sick backflip celebration for the U.S. Uh, yes, yes. You, I mean, you are coming up with all of this now on the spot. The backtracking that's happening is incredible. I would, I would never. Um, he got fucked. He has been awesome. And Fulham has won their last two games, like 5-0, 5-0. And oh, in a rarity, because they were up so much, they were able to sub him off around the 72nd, 73rd. I mean, he literally plays every minute of every game. So for them to be in a position where he could get just – and it may not seem like a lot, but it is – like. Getting that extra combined 36, 37 minutes, almost a full half of not having to wear on your body. That's also awesome to see. And he announced um, recently that he is he and his um, partner are expecting a second baby. So that's really cool for him on a personal level. Um, this is a guy who I see as being a big component of the 2026 World Cup team. Probably being one of the leaders of it. If it were up to me, would probably be the captain of that team. Just given what a stalwart he is. Um, and kind of representing so many great things about 
the national team from the fact that he's a dual national, from the fact that, you know, we have such a mix. We, we have, like, we've had more black guys on the team now than we've ever had, which is, you know, just he just represents so much that is good. And, again, this is a guy who plays every day in and out in the best league in the world and performs consistently. The, the only, One of the only reasons I wouldn't want to give him the captain's armband is that he has – we've never seen him with the captain's armband. Sure. And in – for club and country, he performed so well. I wouldn't want to risk like upsetting the it's balance of, of what he's got going on because if it ain't broke, don't fix it, kind of thing, right? I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to over tinker with what he does. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, he's awesome. And again, I'm really interested to see kind of over the next month, especially with the congested Christmas schedule. You know what is asked is that how for real is Aston Villa gonna be? Is it just a hot start? Is Man City gonna get back on track? Can Tottenham turn it around? Um, I feel like I was pretty dead on about leaving Newcastle out of my top. The one I really fucked up on my top four was having Chelsea in there. I guess I just yeah, figured with yeah. Poach and spending money, they would be good. But I feel like I was pretty spot on kind of everywhere else so far, just in how things are kind of playing out. So interesting to see. Now Newcastle don't have the distraction of the Champions League. So kind of seeing if maybe they turn their season around, trying to maybe make a push. But yeah, it is um, it's super fascinating. Yeah, um, a couple things there. Like Newcastle will be very interesting to see what they do. You've got to imagine the, the Saudi investment fund, PIF, not happy with getting dead last in the Champions League. Right, like they they're not funneling money in to get last in competitions. I would imagine Eddie Howe's seats feeling a little warm right now. Yeah, not is. hot, but a little warm. It could be hot. It could be hot, especially at seven. Right, like they're like especially against the worst Man U team that I have ever seen. So if 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 they finish outside of Champions League after finishing last oh, in their, their group, gone. he's gone. And be real interesting to see what kind of names they go after. Yeah. Uh, so that's that, that's one thing. I, I do think your point about them not having any European distractions is a very good one. Um, I've seen that in Italy over the past couple of years. The team that gets bounced has a lot more time to focus um, and rest and improve their league standing. Man City will be really interesting. It's what this drop of form has really been since that Rodri injury, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, did Pep is a so, Rodri is a Rodri merchant. Uh I don't recall how much longer he's out. I I'd imagine he's coming back soon though. And De Bruyne I think is might be back in training, so that'll be a big boost for them because they That'll be a him. huge boost. Um so, like, Man City is not going to end in fourth place. Like, they're going to, they're going to, you know, I, I bet you they'll be second. If you know, if they don't, if they're not going to be first, they're going to be second. Arsenal. I mean, I, 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 I do, you know, Arsenal are not in first, but I did pick Arsenal to to win the league, and like, they're right there. It's not, it's not a bad look. Um, no. Yeah, we'll see. It, it's. Villa just looks weird in here, and it is weird. It but is. like, 
they've been getting results. They they just had a big big win over Arsenal. Um, they were holding on <laughs> to, to that. <laughs> one nothing lead by the skin of their teeth, but they were fucking dude. They were holding in by the skin of their fucking sack, brother. It, it wasn't pretty, but it worked, and I think that three points is three points. Something to be said about you know sometimes that's I think where Unai Emery like can get it done, uh, even if it doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was pretty thorough. I, I have I have one more thing to discuss if you want one more one, one more reprieve. Okay. Last time we were potting, you know, Bournemouth were looking like they were probably going to be in a dogfight uh, avo- to avoid relegation. They looked like they were like we might have a, a situation where Tyler Adams finally gets healthy and is playing in the championship after leaving a championship club. Um, but Bournemouth have had a really good run of form uh, over the past couple of weeks. Undefeated in their last five. And now see themselves 10 points above the drop zone, which I think is... Uh, They're pretty safe. Pretty safe. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield can grab that, uh, you know, that many points <laughs> over the back half of the season. So um, I think we'll have an opportunity for next season a healthy Tyler Adams to be... You know, to work his way into that squad in the in the Premier League, which would be exciting. I just worry that Tyler Adams will never be a hundred percent healthy ever again. Are we? Are like you kind of getting some Stu Olden vibes a little bit? Yeah, they're different types of midfielders. Stu is way more attacking, and Tyler's way more like holding and defensive. But there's just especially when it's like so much back stuff all the time. So young. Yeah. Like anytime a guy has like back stuff or knee stuff, I'm just like, uh. God, it just doesn't feel good there. Well, and they're like they're they're like they're both just like super likable guys, and yeah. like like I, I I feel like you could draw some similar. I I'm hope I'm praying it's not the case. Same, same, same. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, I guess this is that part of the podcast. Okay, menu. You know, you could say, you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, you know, Milan is nine points behind the top of the table and Manu's only ten points behind the top of the table. That seems similar. But at the same time, it just doesn't. Manu is so bad that I dread every time that they fucking play soccer. It, it, it pains me. To levels that I did not realize that were there to pain me. How something that once brought me so much love and joy only brings me agony and misery, I can't understand. And I do not have a solution. I really don't. I don't think firing Ten Hog is really going to make a difference. I think you have to literally gut this team and keep like seven dudes. And start over. And just- Honestly, I'm... I'm surprised that you got the number up to seven. Five dudes. <laughs> I don't know what the number is, but it's a very... I mean, Kobe Mainu is one of the dudes, so he, he, he's just up, an up-and-coming, but... It's just a terrible fucking team with no identity, no structure, and at a certain point, I have watched the a lot of these same, this same group of core players fail 
under various managers. So at what point is it not the manager's fault? I just, I mean, Ten Hag kind of fucks up too sometimes, but I don't really think he's the problem. I mean, we just made Marcus Rashford one of the most highest paid players in the league, and he has been a fucking bum. I just, there is, I mean, he is deservedly on the bench playing second fiddle to Garnacho. Then on the other wing, you have the fucking one-legged pirate who has just stifled every attack because everyone, my fucking 411 grandmother could defend him because she would just leave the fucking wing, you know, the fucking side of the pitch open and he'd never use it. So you got to deal with that. It's just, it's bad. It's, it's, it's so bad. And I just think that short of just you, like the only thing that would fix it to me is just a complete explosion. Sell everything, pretty much sell everyone, keep like six guys, bring in Simeone and just start over. That's the only, that's the only thing. Simeone who just signed an extension earlier this year. He just signed an extension. So man, you would have to have to pay more to get him. (laughs) Because somehow, despite being. It's, it's not Simeone. You've got the wrong name. Who is it? Search your feelings. Think about it. I don't know. I don't have feelings anymore. Man, you killed those two. Zinedine Zidane. He'll, he's not going to come. He's waiting for France. Why, <laughs> why would he touch this fucking job? It's the worst job in the world. But hear me out. The French are absurdly vain. That's a fact. Like, absurdly vain. They can't help it. They're French. And you go to him and you say, Zizou, we have just detonated this club. You get to build it in your image. There's a lot of bald dudes. That's a lot of bald dudes. We give you these golden clippers. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, there's just nothing to be said because I just, I got nothing for you here. It's just... It's really bad. I don't see it fixing anytime soon. We got it. We get to play Liverpool this weekend. Woo we'll, we'll, we'll fucking who. They're about to beat us 8-0. Yeah, play Liverpool without Bruno because of that ridiculously stupid yellow card. No, that he, he did that on up. purpose. He's like, I'm not going to get fucking dummied by Liverpool again. I would have in his shoes. You, th- you, think, you, think he, you think that was... Yeah. I think Luke Shaw pretended to get hurt against Bayern, so he's like, now I don't have to play against Liverpool either. They're just fucking, they're just so, it's a, dude, this whole, the whole team, every single player just about, they're so pathetic. They're, they're, their mindset is so bad. So to inject, inject some silver linings into this doom uh, session of a podcast, you guys suffered your worst ever start to a season as a club. Yes. And you're six points behind Man City. Granted, Man City's in fourth. Yes. But, like, you guys have shot yourselves in the foot so many times this season, and you realistically have a second-half battle for a Champions League spot. Obviously, a club of your stature, that's not... That should not be the the barometer for success. But it is. We we don't... Eric, we're not Manchester United anymore. We don't have stature. We really don't. 
Our stature ended in 2013 when Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Since that, since then, in the last 10 years, we are a team who has to hope to try to make the Champions League. That is the reality of it. We're not, you know, it's Alfred talking to fucking Bruce saying you're not Batman anymore in the Dark Knight Rises. We're not Manchester United anymore, bud. We're fucking old. Got too many concussions. We have too many concussions. <laughs> it's just, we're just, we're, we, we're not what we were. We're just not. And it's just like, and the worst part is, the club just makes so much money anyway. Yeah. And it's like the biggest detriment to the team because as a there, business, there's oh no my business, God. There's, it, no bi- there's no financial penalty for, for lack of success. None at all. The fuck, it, it, it somehow mind boggles me how this thing churns money the way it does. And, and, like, and it, it's kind of like the double-edged sword. Like Ferguson rebuilt this club into something that, you know, it's why... I can part of why I you know other than all the the winning he did, he built this. I mean, he built this 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 giant behemoth. He made it too big to fail. Exactly. And and like you know we we've we've talked pretty openly about like the shocking similarities between our two clubs over the you know, the past couple of years, uh, kind of wandering through the wilderness. Um, the one of the big differences is. When Milan was no longer successful, we were not financially viable, and like that, that actually crushed us for a few years where we were out of Champions League. Whereas you guys have always been able to stay around at least that, right? Um, but because of that, we had to fall into ownership of somebody actually invested in making us winners on the field in order for their investment to pan out. The problem that you guys have is that's not that's not necessary. Right. It's purely a business venture for the Glaciers, and there is no financial difference. Actually, like the only difference financially is it costs you them more money to make this a winning operation than it does to to sustain the corporate entity. Yep. So, I have no answers. I, I hope for a better tomorrow for no one. <laughs> Except you. Until you put this on me, you bastard. Okay. This is a really good segue into Group A of the Champions League. Fuck this. Let's just, let's just, just tear the band-aids. We'll be quick. We both figured Bayern would get through the group. We were right there. We both also figured Man U would get to the group. Hard to do that if you have one win and one draw. Yeah. So it ended up being Bayern and um, Copenhagen, who all Copenhagen needed to get through. So this is all that was required to get through in this group. Two wins, two draws, two losses. That's all you needed. Eight points. I am glad that Copenhagen got through over Galatasaray. Hey, speaking of Turkey, did you yeah. see that ref when yeah. they beat the shit out of him? What the fuck was that about? Was yeah. The that like, shit I've ever seen. That, like... We we may we may now have to end our joke about the Tur- like one horrific incident and we can no longer make our joke about the Turkish Super League because they just they've ruined that. I was talking with a, a work colleague the other day, um, and I, like the way like the fandom in Turkey is kind of almost devolving. I feel like it's 
it's moving towards a track of like what we see with the Hungarian like national team fandom where it's like super alt right and like violent and aggressive. Um, yeah. Like, like significantly racist and like, yeah, it's bad. It's yeah. totally fucked up. Um, moving on to group B. We both had Arsenal getting out of the group. You had him in second. I had him in first. Yeah. We both also had Sevilla getting out of the group. Jokes on us. They finished dead last. But PSV with our boys, Serginio Dest, Malik Tillman, and Pepe go through to the knockout rounds. That's fucking awesome. That's pretty That's pretty sick, yeah. So that's a nice little tidbit there. Um, group C, we crushed this one, Real Madrid-Napoli. That's how <laughs> it ended up being. And pretty much no drama. I mean, Braga and third were six points behind Napoli. Yeah, Onion Berlin only getting uh, two draws. Um, that's tough, but you know what? Good for them. Their fans, their fans really availed themselves well. Um, great atmosphere, both home and away. That's fun. Now we go to Group D. Um, I had Inter and Real Sociedad coming out of the group. You had Inter and Salzburg. It ended up being. Real Sociedad and Inter, which means Inter as a pot two team for the knockout rounds. Someone in pot one is going to have a really bad day. <laughs> yeah, it's going to it's and you know like I don't know I I'll be shocked if they don't throw uh, Inter to Real Madrid just like have a really saucy knockout you know first knockout round matchup i think barcelona inter would be funnier because inter could knock barcelona out early and it would also be saucy so i know no, we're getting psg barcelona oh i would love that um next group you had group e you had atletico madrid and lazio coming out you nailed it in that order i had atletico madrid but i had fair dude coming out which they finished third so they shall be in europa um, they just lost too many games. And so, I feel like Celtics just never had a chance. Yep. Turns out losing games is not good. <laughs> yeah, so... Group F? Yeah. Yeah, Dortmund uh, won the group. Shocking. Props to them. PSG came out in second. Milan <laughs> tied PSG on points. But goal differential and results based PSG were were clear, and then Newcastle finished in last. It was the group of death. You know, Dortmund was confirmed before the final match day, but the other three teams were all in a dead heat, alive for that second place spot. Um, I told you this after that first match day in the group when Milan dominated Newcastle at home, nine shots on goal zero goals, uh, missed a couple like easy ones that they should have had. Just felt like the kind of thing that the end of the group stage, not getting that win at home when you dominate, going to keep you out. And that's what happened. You guys would have done good enough to get out of um, Manu's group. <laughs> no offense. I also think against... That draw, I think we might have had a couple better uh, results, yes, too. Yes, no, no offense taken, you would have. Uh, 
Manu, even in that group, would have finished even behind Newcastle in this group. <laughs> that just really shows you what a disaster the Champions League was for us. Uh, group G, that was Group G and H were the easiest ones to nail to who's going to get out. Wait, 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 really? The groups that Man City and Barcelona had were just like the easiest groups to predict, which means they were the easiest groups to be in. Yeah, uh, City came, City and Leipzig came out in that order. We both nailed that. And then Barca and Porto came out in that order. But basically, Porto and Shakhtar had a playing game for the second spot, which was super exciting. But Porto ended up uh, dominating a 4-2 affair. So uh, Big, big, big terrain game. Yeah, yeah. So we will, uh, next podcast, we'll have the draw. We'll talk about kind of the preview of all those matchups. And I hope that in the next podcast here, probably sometime in early January, my genuine hope is that the vibes are better. Unfortunately, I just believe there's zero, zero chance that that's going to be the case. Oh, before we go, you know, third place in the group, Europa League, last place, done with European competition. Yes. Judging by your reactions to this part of the conversation, you would have rather finished third than finish last in your group? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that, I, I think at the end of the day, it's all about winning trophies. So being in another competition where you could win Europa, and especially with Manu's position and, in, in you know, that being another pathway to the Champions League. Yeah, I, I think that it's like, it. I think like if you're Milan, for example, and you look at this season and you got third place in the league, you're not happy, but you won the Europa League, like, you're still creating that winning culture, like, the expectation is we have to win trophies, so it's like, yeah, so that's where I'm at. So, only reason I'm asking is because last time Milan failed to get out of the group stage, we finished dead last, and went on to win uh, Serie A. And so, like, I kind of adopted this idea of, like, you know what, you're not in the Champions League, perhaps it's better to be able to put more of your focus on the league. But in this instance, we're nine points back of Inter. I don't think we're closing that gap this year in the league. So it, it would be fun to be able to maybe make a run in the Europe, Europe League. My only like concern there is I, Europa playing on Thursdays in that short yeah. turnaround with some of the more chaotic travel that you get with some of these away games in Europa is is tough, is taxing. We've disclosed the injury turmoil that Milan have had. United are no stranger to that either. Like you guys have had some Oh yeah, we've we've been missing yeah. like up to yeah. 11, 12 guys at a time. So I get you. And a lot of a lot of center back fullbacks too. Like it's yep. so you know I what I hope to see in Europa from Milan moving forward is like some squad rotation. Let's, let's get some guys an opportunity, you know, Leal does not need to be playing in these Europa league games, or at least not a lot. Giroud do not play Giroud in Europa league, unless I think we make it to a certain stage in the competition. Like if you make it to the semifinals, then you should maybe think about it. I don't want my Jan playing a Europa league game. Not until the semis. Yeah. If at all. Right? Like, 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 these are kind of things that... I think these are common sense things just based on the injury history makes yeah. a lot of sense. I, and, and I so, think given Milan's... I think if Milan was a team that never had a history, really any major injury history, then yeah, fucking let's fucking boss to the wall. Let's try to win everything. But 
given the very legitimate injury concerns that I even brought up, you know, the last two years when we were talking about Syria and I was yeah. doing my um, Pioli propaganda. Um, yeah, I think I think that those are all really common sense, smart things that you'd hope to see. And 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 to tie us back to you know, I fucking or not, if if we don't rotate the squad, you're sliding into a DM, aren't you? If we don't rotate the squad and our league performance continues to stutter, I I feel like I, I very much can blame the manager in that instance. And then are you sliding into DMs? Who's the say? Just, it's going to be an episode of Cheaters, and it's just going to be you sliding into random European managers' DMs and sending them dick pics. You dirty, dirty whore. You dirty whore. If I say something, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> well, we are back, for better or for worse, but we're back. It's nice to get into the groove again. Um, follow us on Twitter, Adam Pod. Email us anything you want. I forgot. I haven't checked the email in a while, but I should do that. Ongopod at gmail.com. And yeah, we'll be back in uh, just a few weeks, early January. Bye. Bye. To the byline. It's in, it's an up goal! It's a gift! Oh, it's almost done well to get that in because it's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out, it almost hits his heel. And goes straight into the bottom of the corner, bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball, it's the inside of his car. Got no chip to the keeper. Astonishing position to get the ball.